Welcome to Inspired by Her, the podcast that will give you the inspiration, motivation, and tips for success from some of the top executives, CEOs, and influencers from around the globe. With your host, serial entrepreneur, and named one of the most influential Filipina in the world, Kate Hancock. Hi everyone, this is Kate, and today I have here Carrie Santos, our EO. Yes. So I uh, thank you so much for being here. For anyone who doesn't know you, can you briefly introduce yourself? Sure. I'm the CEO of Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, organization that has played a big part in Kate's career and professional development and so many of our mutual friends. And I have been the CEO of EO for two and a half years. Uh, for anyone who's a member, your first question always is, we have a CEO. I hear that question pretty much every single week. Yes, we have a CEO. Uh, it's a pretty big organization and uh, someone has to keep track of, of the staff and the money and that's my job. Wow. I, I can't wait to dig down. How do you handle 14,000 overachievers? <laughs> like, that's a lot of work. You know, the weird thing is, I actually love meeting each and every member. I, I just feel like, I don't know if I was born for this or it's my personality. If I could meet every member and get to know them and have a conversation, like that's kind of my, my big BHAG, uh, my big hairy aspirational goal. Um, I, I think it's like no matter who the member is, you can connect and find something you have in common. And you like hear about their special talents, their journey. And I get so much out of that. It really, um, it drives me. So maybe it's not for everybody, but it's absolutely for me. Wow. Wow. So um, before that, uh, before we're going to go to that really intense um, being a leader and female of over 14,000 members, I want to know, where did you grow up, Carrie? So I grew up in a small suburb of Chicago. Um, it's called Darien, Illinois. And literally my house and my town were my age. Like my parents moved in when I was four months old, six months old, and like watched the trees grow up. It was one of those typical American suburban tract housing where there were five houses and you either lived in one or the other. And uh, it like very, very stereotypical suburb, uh, uh, you know, clean, new, um a little homogenous yeah wow okay so what moment from your childhood are you most proud of so the interesting thing is when you're in an organization like EO you spend a lot of time thinking and dredging up memories you might not have had and something that turned to be turned out to be really critical turning point and I had no idea at the time I think I was in middle school at we call it junior high and we didn't have like summer camps or anything like that. I think my mom just would drop us off at the library and we'd, we'd go get books. And I remember one day I stumbled across a bookshelf full of foreign policy textbooks, like international wow. affairs. I think I was 12. For whatever reason, I took a book out and I started reading it. And then I went back and I read the next one. And like later reflecting, I'm like, why did I do that? I have no idea why it spoke to me, but it put me in this path of really being interested at a young age from why does the world work this way? Uh, is there more, way, more than one way to look at it? And even it set me up to learn, like I think I was 12, about idealism in the world, that there's a certain 
group of world leaders who have always pushed to make the world uh, better than it can be, uh, even if it's not possible. And some, somehow that spoke to me from a really young age. And I think it set me on my path of studying and um, trying to travel the world. Well, that's amazing for a 12-year-old. I, I don't think I did. I think I was working, but I, I didn't have that thinking of what you're doing at 12. Wow. So um, did you have any heroes or model when you were a child? You know, it's so interesting. Primarily, no. Like, I'm so grateful that my girls now have all these female heroines, and we love to watch those movies together, like the new Wonder Woman or Katniss Everdeen or the Divergent series, because I never saw women kicking ass when I was growing up. Like, never. I mean, I, I really have a hard time thinking of who, who it was that would have inspired me. And so, like, when I saw the new Wonder Woman, I was like, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure who would have um, seemed like a hero. I mean, I was definitely interested in um, people who want to change the world, like you know, Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King. But um, I, I did notice now that I've been raising my own girls that there weren't people that I could see myself in their role. You know, I I obviously was inspired by, by men and, and some women, but I really wished I could have had a hero. Okay, that's, and uh, I know you have two girls and congratulations. Like who, who got into USC? Is that you? Ah, yes. Yeah, so my oldest daughter, Helena, she will kill me because no one's <laughs> supposed to know, but she got into a couple great schools in Southern California and she has uh, a couple of her weeks to decide, but I think we're really likely that she's going to be, uh, attending school in Southern California. Uh, uh, I guess I can see, I will be seeing you more then. Absolutely. I'm really excited about that. Okay. So tell me, what was your journey like to get where you are? Yeah. It, it, if anything, it was circuitous. Like I, I definitely did not have a goal like this. And um, uh, a membership association that's global, it's not something you kind of grow up knowing about. In fact, I remember even though I was interested in um, an international career, I didn't know any international jobs. Like where I lived, people were accountants or engineers or like business and finance. I, I didn't know anybody with an international job. So I knew two jobs. One is professor and one is ambassador. And I actually did not see myself in either role. It's still pretty sexist time. And I, I didn't think that little old me, a girl could become an ambassador or professor. So I just kind of kept studying um, international affairs, foreign countries without knowing where it would take me and just kind of hoping something would turn up. And um, I, I had one professor in college who actually pulled me out and said, hey, Carrie, you sh should consider going to get a doctorate, a PhD. And if he hadn't told me specifically I could do that, I don't think it would have ever occurred to me. It just was not the way I saw myself. I, it just didn't happen. So because of him, I did go get um, a doctorate uh, at Berkeley. And um, most of those programs are set up to become a professor. And so like, you're just kind of on that path. Again, I, I only knew a couple jobs. And uh, in the end, it didn't work out for me. I, I never did land a job at a university as a professor, but um, 
and I didn't know where, what to do and where to turn with my degree. Um, but uh, I ended up getting a job at the State Department, which was, again, like the only other job I knew, not as an ambassador, but at least I knew that that was a kind of job to get. And I worked there for 10 years. But um, I, I wanted to do more. I, um, at State Department, a lot of government jobs are very flat. So I think I managed a person half time and I sort of had this longing that maybe I could manage a bigger team. And so uh, American Red Cross offered me a job where I started off with a team of 10 people, worked my way up year after year till I had about a team of uh, 120, kind of working my way up that corporate ladder. And um, then I was just looking for something else. Could I run something on my own, not just being a cog in a big wheel, but what would it mean if I led the whole organization and I was the one uh, in charge of all of those different things, and could I do it? Wow. And you've been with Red Cross organization for like 10 years, is that correct? Yeah, I think maybe nine, and about 10 with State Department, so two big decades there, yeah. So what brought you to, to EO? Are you familiar with EO in the, before? I mean, so it was a recruiter. People ask me all the time, um, and I almost feel like it was a matchmaker because uh, at that time, I'd done a lot of work with Red Cross that I didn't know it could be relevant to anything else. It's very specific, and I didn't really see um, what I would have to offer in a different realm. And uh, the cool thing about Red Cross is that it's um, decentralized. Nobody's in charge. It's all volunteer. Uh, kind of crazy things happen and all this innovation, and you just have to learn how to go with the flow and get what you can and how to work in that network. And I think I was describing this to the recruiter and she said, huh, I think I know an organization that could use you. And she you know, thought of EO. And uh, I have to say the recruitment process was amazing. I have wow. been through many, many interviews. I'm you know, rising the corporate ladder and I'm pretty good at interviewing. Like, you know, I know the right, the right answer that you're supposed to say that makes you sound good, but EO interview wasn't like that at all. I, I don't even know how they did it. It was very disarming. And at the beginning, we just started telling the truth. <laughs> like we just like, just being yourself. And um, I was blown away by getting to uh, open up in a job interview and not just give like the typical canned answer. And I just knew I, I really wanted to be in an organization that was like that. Wow. Wow. So what's your typical day like now? Uh, COVID day or pre-COVID day? They're quite different. And then now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, my life changed a lot because I definitely have been traveling Oh, at least one week a month, and it could be to any corner of the world. And that kind of meant um, in my downtime when I was back at home, like every weekend I'm catching up. So it's like catching up on the laundry, yep, <laughs> you know, catching up on the bills, catching up on time with my family. And I, I think that always felt behind, but um, I do like the pace. Uh, when I'm home, my husband and I, uh, we were like, we are still, but we work out together every day. And so we basically would go to the YMCA pretty much for a class every single day together at 6 a.m. And it's like our, our time. And uh, we like, you know, like being together, being healthy and uh, come home, breakfast, quickly, quickly get ready, get out the door with my coffee and usually start meetings at EO at 8.30 or 9. And um, it's Zoom. I mean, so this is no difference. It was Zoom calls all the time, even though I work in the EO um, big office in Virginia, almost everybody in that office 
I would say 70% of our day is on Zoom. So we're kind of like a, a call center, everyone just facing their own screen and not really interacting together that much. And um, come home, usually I'd say he cooks dinner a little bit more than me, but I, I certainly cook dinner too. And um, the big part, we were just joking about it yesterday, every day, we would make homemade lunches for us and the girls after dinner. So the person's doing the dishes and one person is like making all the pasta salad, the fruit salad, the this, and it's a long, a long drawn out process. So yesterday we were taking a, a walk after dinner. I said, isn't this so much better that we're not making lunches every day and uh, we have this extra time. I said, I don't want to go back to that. You know, I mean, it's great that we're making healthy food for us and for our, our girls, but it, usually I'm tired after we get through the whole dishes, lunches, and yeah. kick back and watch Netflix. Or uh, if I'm too hyped up, I read a book to help me like calm down. Awesome. So would you say you're more uh, of an extrovert or an introvert? Extrovert. Oh, I really, really am. I'm, you know, it's interesting when you travel with people, you can tell some people really want to go back to their room, they need to recharge. And for me, it's actually a problem with um, entrepreneurs organization because I'll be in a conversation with somebody, it could be 10 o'clock, 10.45, and I'm getting more and more energy. And the conversation keeps building up like momentum. And I really don't want to stop because like, what if the next part of our conversation is going to be even better? So I have a really hard time pulling away and saying, oh no, I got to I gotta call it now and go back to sleep and take care of myself because I, I probably could just go on that energy um, endlessly. Wow, yeah. I'm, it's funny, like if I would attend to an EO event where I don't know anyone, I would be in a corner not talking to anyone because I'm very shy. It's, it's, but you know, EO is so great because you, you can really introduce yourself to anybody. Like you don't have yeah. to. I, in other parts of my life, like we were supposed to go to a networking event. Oh my God, it's awful because you feel like everybody knows somebody. But you, mm-hmm. and you, oh, like you're really welcome to kind of butt in and introduce yourself. I think it's very accepting. Yeah. Okay, so what's one thing that can instantly make your day better? Better. Um, I think it's really one-on-one communication mm-hmm. because. You know, I send these big, long emails and reports to our board, but when somebody's reaching out to me, it could be just by phone, which we do sometimes now, or email, um, but like just a one-on-one where we're um, somebody I know, somebody who knows me, uh, just getting to connect with them in any way, like help them or them help me. It really gives me the energy to keep on going. Um, I I noticed it a lot more now in the COVID time, but it it absolutely was the case where, you know, um, sometimes there would be a reason I would just need to talk to one staff person. Just that one conversation where I get to catch up with them and we get to work. But uh, I I do think the one-on-one like personal connection really, really helps me um, keep going. Wonderful. And so tell me about a mistake that you made. <laughs> mistake. Let's see. Let's see. I mean, I think the most embarrassing ones come to mind, like where you send reply all when you're criticizing somebody in email. And if this hasn't happened to you, it will. Um, but it, it's so common. I think usually, I know a very specific one I'm thinking of at the State Department where uh, another person and I were complaining about this you know, person 
who was being nasty in their email, but we replied all. And then, you know, you just have to suck it up and say, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't, you know, but those are the ones I remember the most. I have a feeling there was some contract I've screwed up, but I, I try not to dwell on them too much and, and live in the past, but absolutely there have been details of like contract, not getting something done on time, thinking it was done. Um, but sorry, that's not specific enough. <laughs> well, no, no, it's very good. I've done that, like that yeah. reply all. Oh, yeah. boy, is there a way you could reverse that? Like, you take time. well, you know, it's worse. Like if you try to use that Microsoft thing of pull your email back, they can still see it and then they notice it. So you never do that. Like, never try to, to uh, unsend your email. That's worse. <laughs> so, Karen, what was one of your deepest motivation in life? Um, to be honest, uh, I am the third of four children, which is not a common thing. The middle child, like people know what that is, but three of four is like nothing, right? Like it's not the baby, it's not the oldest, not the middle. And I really, really, I think, um, was fighting for attention my whole life. You know, my older siblings, uh, they were older. I was kind of in their shadow. We all had the same teachers growing up, the exact same classes. So everybody knew that I was so-and-so's sister. And um, I think I just wanted, you know, like, hello, I'm down here. So I was definitely um, overachiever in school trying to get my parents' attention. And, and I think they did not notice until senior year when I was valedictorian. They're like, oh, how did that happen? <laughs> like they just literally that that wasn't their thing, and they weren't really big on like they didn't give us money for A's or anything like that. But I was like, hello, hello, and I, I think even working all my way through my PhD was to show my parents like, hey, look at I I am doing something. My my dad actually has a PhD as well in mechanical engineering, a very very different field, and I think I was just trying to to um, get those like awards and applause so that like they would know um you know that that, that they would notice me uh I, I, it's one of those things like i feel really glad in the end you know yeah it came from a deficiency but um i'm the one who benefited you know i did all that hard work and i, I got the results from it but i i think i was really just trying to to get attention being buried down there at the bottom of my family <laughs> Yeah, I that kind of happened to me too. Um, yeah, I'm my parents. They never really say something when you do really well. Exactly. And I like I think probably because they uh, they expected that that you're gonna do well anyway. But you keep yeah. on doing it because you yeah. really want like where's that encouragement or like oh you yeah. did a great job yeah so yeah I can yeah no that's right they, they didn't they didn't give that kind of praise I actually would hear it from like my parents friends they would say oh your parents are proud of you and I'd be like really <laughs> that's not, not the way it looks to me and maybe there was a sense um you know nobody wants you to get a big head like this fear that if we praise you you're going to think you know, get, get really a big head and very proud of yourself, which, you know, definitely did not happen. But so I think it kind of went too far the other way where yeah. I didn't know. I, I really didn't know what they thought of it. Yeah. But it kind of sense too, like, I think it helped me because then I want to push more because I wanted that vi validation so much. Yes. Right. Yeah, so yes. Yes. No, I mean, I definitely got the benefit because I worked hard and, you know, I got things out of it, but the motivation really came from, you know, wanting the, the pats on the back. Okay. 
have you ever had imposter syndrome? Oh my, yes. <laughs> you know, I think um, when I started working at State Department, for sure, like we always had to wear suits and skirts. And that was like, like partly just to, to try to fit in. Graduate school, for sure, too, because, um, you know, some people in graduate school have, are older, more experienced, and they've worked, and they, like, they kind of knew what they were doing, and they go to seminar, and, like, they knew what to say, and they knew how to pose all these questions, and I'd be like, well, that's not what I read in the book. Where are they getting all this stuff from? And so it was definitely there, uh, fake it till you make it. Um, and I think pretty much at every step, like, whatever the next step I was in, like, the first time I had to present to the American Red Cross CEO, uh, and had, had to do like the PowerPoint, like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I hope they don't know that I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, they love the presentation and then, oh, well, I guess it wasn't as bad as I thought. Wow. Yeah. We all suffer from that. Yeah. Especially being women, like we never. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we kind of, um, underestimate like whatever level we have we sort of round down and see like the deficiency and oh I don't have this I don't have that whereas I'm told that uh, men tend to round up a little and see themselves and I'm sure not all but uh, I think we always look for those like gaps oh but I don't know this yet I don't know that yet and I, I think we sort of hold that against ourselves yeah wow so think back to a time that you felt transform how did you change and why yeah um this is a story some people already know in eo but it's really the most memorable transformation i can think of uh i got to go to a women of eo event so it was august 2018 and that's when i met you and um i didn't know that i was going to give the keynote speech <laughs> i I was going to be on a panel and I love panel like that's from academia I know how to do that I can just go with it but like the week was going on and our host kept saying and we can't wait for Carrie's keynote and I'm like uh oh <laughs> and so I think you know in general my um approach to anything in life up to that point which we had talked about in the summit is that women sometimes over prepare and that definitely has been my uh, way of, of coping. So for like a PowerPoint to the CEO or for public speaking, I would usually write out every single word of a speech and then I would make it into like bullet po point notes that are, and then bullet points from there and like kind of memorize it and to like really um, prepare. And in this case, because I didn't know I was giving the speech and because we had like such great inspiration and training at the beginning of the week, I just said, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to like script it out. I'm going to speak from my heart. And I actually spent the preparation time talking to my husband about what would be a really, really hard thing for me to share to a group. Like not just, because there's things we all feel comfortable talking about because we talked about it so many times. And uh, he was really pushing me every night, like what would be hard for me to tell a group of people mm -hmm. and a group of strangers, really. And what I decided was talking about my academic accomplishments to a group of people who didn't know me was really the hardest thing for me to do. Because again, coming from that feeling of 
not ever being boastful, not ever thinking you're better than anybody, not ever bragging. That was really drilled into me as a kid. I've, I always like, don't talk about my, my academic background. Uh, it makes me really, really nervous to tell people because I think they're going to judge me and think I'm an egghead or think I'm this or think I'm that. And so um, I really hide it. I have good friends here like that I see parents of my children who have no idea of anything academic about me because I'm just I feel like people won't like me which is just a terrible thing so I came right out to that EO summit and I said I am a PhD in political science and then I said the harder thing I'm a Fulbright scholar which really I never ever ever tell anybody <laughs> and to tell that group and to sort of tell my story about when I learned that I shouldn't, you know, brag and how people don't like you if you're smart, you're going through that journey and telling that story without preparing it with just kind of flying by the seat of my pants was the scariest thing I've ever done and the most exhilarating thing I've ever done. I felt like I was on a trapeze with no net, like I was doing these somersaults and I could fall at any moment, but um, the the audience of women was so supportive. I just knew it wasn't going to be a risk that somebody would be there to catch me. And I called my mom after that. I said, mom, um, I'm a different person. I literally said that to her. I said, EO could fire me tomorrow and I won't care because I've been transformed. I have a new understanding of myself and sharing of myself, honestly, from the heart and nothing will ever take that away from me. I mean, that was just one of those moments you can't ever forget. Wow. And I remember that day. It was an outdoor, we're in the circle table. And right. there was sun in my eyes. Yes, it was a bright day. And uh, yeah, because I think our session before that is with the author, Sally, How Women Rise. And I think, right. yes, and Wow. Yeah, that was powerful. I think I got teared eye listening to you at that moment. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was um, just incredible to, instead of always hiding those things about ourselves, to just be like, hey, I can show you who I am. And you are all going to love that and love the gifts you have. And it's not like who has more or who has less. It's just real appreciation of everyone's value that it was just so healing like I told you that other part of like always trying to you know feel like um you were recognized and, and I mean that feeling of acceptance by just being myself was overwhelming really overwhelming wow that was powerful and um there's a lot of times too where I reach out to you like Carrie I, I would be getting this award but I'm kind of shy I don't think I think because it's so much bigger than like you just have that. You can't help the imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. I don't deserve this. Right. Like, yeah. Cool. But the thing is, who, who deserves it more than you? That, that's it. Like, you know, who, who deserves it more? That, that's why I feel so lucky to have um, a supportive spouse because he's always saying, you know, that. Like, of course you deserve this. Of course you, you've done the work. You're, you're ready for this, you know. Um, but, but we all have that, like, little voice that was put in our heads when we were young, that, that voice of doubt. Yeah, well, thank you. And you've helped me a lot, too. Like, I think that was two weeks ago, and I said, Carrie, I'm going to speak in front of women of EO, and I'm I'm so nervous. Like, no, just be vulnerable. So, like, okay, I did that. Like, everyone was so accepting. No, and, like, the, the 
feeling you get by taking the risk mm -hmm. and then having it appreciated, you know, it, it's so much better to risk and put it out there versus like playing it safe. And to me, that is just the big difference between me before EO and after EO. I think before EO is like always calculated. Okay, I can promise this and I'll over deliver. And like you just all of this like real calculation about, hey, they'll see you this way and the next time you'll do this. And with EO, it's just like, nope, this is who I am. I mean, it's really, really, um, especially for a woman, it, it's something to feel like you can be yourself. I, I think we're always, not always, but there's a lot of feeling that there's a male leadership style. And if you are not in that style, are you a leader? And um, something, I don't, I don't know who I've ever told this, but I applied for several jobs to lead organizations. And in, I don't know how many cases it was, five, six, the job went to older men, men who were older than me. And I, kept, I, I just felt like, okay, that's because that's what they think a leader is. And, you know, I have to hold out and find some organization that says, no, this is a leader, you know, someone who can uh, be um, empathetic, someone who can be vulnerable, someone who can, you know, relate to the staff. You know, that's who I am. And, you know, waiting to find an organization that wanted that kind of leader, it was hard. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So, um, what do you see as your place or purpose in life? So um, I, I really think it is about the individual connections at the end. Well, we all have our, um, you know, aspirations in business and profession to, to make a difference in our business. And, I, you know, there's all this transformation that um, I'm leading at EO that I think will make a great big difference. But I still think in the end it comes down to how you treat people, um, you know, the, the people you meet in any part of your life feel that, you know, their interactions with you are, are making things better. Um, you know, trying to like bring that humanity to, to the small parts of our life, you know, not just uh, with our capital BFFs, you know, like, but, but really trying to just be that person who, um, we'll take a, a moment to to say hello. Um, it, it's strange. I mean, I'm, I'm leading a big organization, but in the end, I really think um, th there's no point if there's people you're stepping on along the way. I mean, people are are people, and they they need to see you that way. Wow. Yeah. I, remember, I think there is this poem that my high school teacher really pushed us to memorize. Mm -hmm. It's the Siderata. I'm not sure if you heard like the one of the part of it is like you have to listen to everyone because even their doll and ignorance they to have their story that's part of the yes. that's really powerful and yeah and mm -hmm. that I think guide me how you treat everyone really with kindness and right everyone right. fair yeah right. and you don't know what they've been through you know you don't know if their uh parent is ill you don't know if they've been abused like you just literally don't know what people have to carry through their lives and so trying to be like that positive energy for wherever they're going next. I, I really do believe in that, that energy that we're here to, to share as much as we can. It's not like a zero sum. The more you share of it, the more, you know, the, the world is becoming a better place. Yeah. That's wonderful. So how do you want to be remembered? <laughs> uh, well, I told you, um, 
the, the biases I was raised with. So it definitely would be not as an intellectual, <laughs> it would definitely be more someone who um, was fun to be with, someone who made a difference, um, someone who, you know, uh, took time to, to get to know you, uh, who, who offered whatever they had. I mean, I, um, fun part of my job is I like to connect people. I, I just do that for fun. And in EO, I have all these opportunities to like help this member meet a member from the other side of the globe that has something in common. Like, oh my gosh, that's one of the, my favorite parts of my job. It's kind of magical when, when you connect people like that. So um, I feel like it makes a difference when, when people make those kinds of connections. And I was part of the glue that made it happen. Oh, wonderful. Um, for anyone who wanted to um, follow your path, especially for female, what career advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I was always frustrated growing up because I didn't have like a straight aspiration. You know, there is the people who wanted to become a vet mm -hmm. or wanted to become a doctor and like they, they knew to do this. And I, like I told you before, I never really knew what I wanted to do and wasn't persuaded I would become an ambassador. So I was always just looking for the next thing. And I think in some ways, not having a set path made me more open to consider things that uh, other people might not consider. Like, so uh, at State Department, I started working on refugees, not because my whole life I wanted to work on refugees. It was because, okay, I was at this point, I was looking at op opportunities, and that seemed like a great one. And it took me in this whole amazing direction of getting to help um, on humanitarian issues and Red Cross, but it was never a plan. And so, like, I know there's a lot of good reasons to have a plan, to have goals. Mine were never really specific on career stuff. And I feel like it gave me this amazing journey where I am today that you really couldn't have written a, a straight plan to get to be the CEO of EO. It's not possible. So I feel like one of the reasons um, I've been able to end up here was because I was always interested in so many things and, and open. I'm also just naturally curious. So like, I didn't know a whole lot about entrepreneurs. I, knew, I had some entrepreneurs in my life, but like getting to learn it and see where it takes me next and seeing how I can contribute that that's really been motivating. Wow. Well, thank you so much. And I'm so honored to have you here and thank you for sharing your journey and your story. Yeah. Oh, it's been really a pleasure talking to you. And I wish you the best of luck on your new podcast. This is going to be awesome. I, I can't wait to hear the next episodes. All right. Thank you so much, Carrie, and have a good day. I hope you enjoyed the show. You, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And visit katehancock.com so you don't miss out on the next episode. <laughs>